maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on awkward introductions, the problem with no problem, oops, grandma was upset we opened our wedding gifts early, and how to thank a group at work. Plus your most excellent feedback etiquette salute and a postscript segment where we explore part two of the New York Times Be Better at Parties article, The Mix and Mingle. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about dietary restrictions at large events and how to avoid talking about them. You can listen to your ads-free version of the show with its extra question by downloading it at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. And on your phone, you can download the Teachable app to access it. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we have, like, a whole extra job going on for us right now in the midst of our normal job. We're, like, cleaning the living daylights out of Emily Post right now. (laughs) We're going through boxes that are labeled... The 90s, the 80s, and and you're finding things that go way back. This is a five-generation family business, and there are some pack rats in our family. I was going to say, I'm kind of like, there's there's this little, like, part of me that wants to be like, um, fourth generation, come clean out your lockers. (laughs) (laughs) Like... We actually did have the idea, though, of actually asking the fourth generation if there are any really, like, memorable projects or campaigns or, like, you know, the original manuscript of Dad's book Men's Manners that was a New York Times bestseller. Like, things that we would want to save because we come across things all the time that both from a sentimental family perspective and from a historical Emily Post perspective are really interesting. Like, Dan and I opened up this, like, really old, ratty-looking ledger book one day, and it was our grandfather's account of, like, the royalty checks and the money that was coming in and handwritten out with ruler line drawn and color-coded. It was, like, really impressive and interesting, and we loved finding that. But when you're looking at the stuff that you've created— It's so hard to look at it and say, oh, of course we should keep that. I had some really funny ads that I made long, long ago at Emily Post. And you were like, do you want to keep these? And I was like, no, throw that out. But I know we have digital copies of some stuff. It's much harder with, like, the stuff from the 90s where there isn't a digital copy of it. What do you save? What do you get rid of? We have these two competing feelings or notions <laughs> that are just going on all the time. One that says it's, it's, it's time to clean out. It's time to not carry boxes from one storeroom to another again and again. I've, how many times have I moved oh this stack of boxes? <laughs> and am I going to do it again? Am I going to do it again after that? And – that that impulse to to declutter and to clean up and to sort and to organize and at the same time to not throw away something that maybe a generation from now or two generations from now someone would enjoy rifling through. Right. And, like I don't care about the tax documents from like 1998, but I do care about things like Anna and Peggy created the wedding training program at one point and we found the original binder of that. And like that's a great example of – 
you know, 40 years down the line when Dylan and Anisha and Alexander and Jasper and, and Sarah Stella Grace are all looking through this stuff that might be really cool to look at or funny to laugh at. I don't know. I mean, it's like some stuff comes out different ways. Well, and then you mentioned the digital archive as I well. Know. And that adds this whole other layer of complication. I was thinking as I was walking back in from the car, having just carried out boxes, <laughs> that I wanted to call your father. And I know he has a just a folder that has every um, business etiquette training that he's ever done, the PowerPoints. Yes. And I remember being on a trip with him where we were co-teaching uh, trainer training and we would take the car and go to the, the headquarters in the morning. And on that drive, we would go through these old programs <laughs> and it was amazing to me the content that had persisted, that there were some slides. That, I mean they looked very different. The templates had changed. But the actual content, the messages that we were delivering were the same from – the second program he ever gave to the training that we were teaching <laughs> totally. there that day 15 years later. And I want that digital folder <laughs> um, and I don't have it. It might be somewhere, but I don't know exactly where yeah. it is. So that digital archive adds a whole other layer of both. It, it exists and it's easier to hang on to that stuff. But also how do you put it in a format that, that makes sense to someone that someone could actually find something of meaning or value in it. Well, and I get such a kick because when our trainees come, we break out a lot of the Emily Post memorabilia and the the archives, as we call them. The and, family photo yeah, albums. Yeah, like literally the family photo albums. And sometimes they're even like Emily's handwritten garden. Like she was a master gardener and like her garden book or her scripts, you know, from the shows that she did. The radio and, shows. The radio shows and things like that. And it's really impressive and fun to look through it. And when I picture the next generation doing it, I just picture one hard drive that's probably at their point in life like a hologram or something like that. It's going to be like some clear, tiny little chip. And it's just going to sit there and we're probably going to lose it off like the edge of a counter into the corner of like a, a room somehow. <laughs> like, But it's so funny to think about how do you preserve some of this stuff and make it something elegant and fun to interact with when it is time to bring it out? Uh, if you have any ideas out I was there, just thinking, please send them to this us. This is turning into a plea for help. <laughs> Our audience is so smart and so clever. I I really hope there's someone out there listening who has a good idea because um, we could certainly use the assist. So, audience, that's our question to you. And now let's get to some of your questions for us. Let's do it. Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your etiquette questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please put sustaining member in your subject line or in the question, and we will answer your question over on the sustaining member website. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just remember to use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is called Awkward Introductions, and it came to us via Facebook. I was at a winery with my husband and two single friends who are not a couple. I was having conversation with the owner of the establishment when I asked him his name, then told him mine, then introduced my husband. One friend later told me that I was rude not to introduce my friends as well. I didn't think that it was necessary, as they are not related to me like my husband is, and they are adults who could introduce themselves if they felt so inclined. At the time, they were not part of the conversation, although they were both present. Was I wrong or rude? A.T. A.T., I, I wouldn't say rude? I don't know. I It's like, this is an interesting one. First of all, your friend calling you out on it, it's, it's good to stand up and say when you're uncomfortable. This is one of those, though, where it's like, the, to me, this seems pretty low stakes infraction of rudeness, if it is rude. You know what I mean? It's, it's, this is low stakes. This is not um, a restaurant owner that this person already knew. Our writer, A.T., was introducing themselves to the owner of the restaurant and then also introducing their spouse. And so I think that's fine. I think because they are in a group and the other two people were around, I think it would have been so easy and inclusive to say, and these are our friends, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, and and we're having such a great time here, you know, love the place. That would have been so easy. It was just such an easy moment to make a positive etiquette situation, and your friend then wouldn't have even thought to then speak up and call you out on a minor infraction. I would not have brought this up personally. Would you? Um, Probably not. And if I did bring it up, I wouldn't accuse someone of being wrong or rude. I I might say, oh, hey, I would have loved if you could have included me in that introduction. Or because like you say, there's this fine balance between kind of standing up for yourself in a social situation or telling a good friend that you would have appreciated that and accusing them of something or yeah. calling them rude or wrong. That and was really rude. <laughs> exactly. And, and like you, I'm imagining this is sort of a fun, vivacious social evening. Yeah. And 
I, I sort of had a parting thought that I wouldn't want this memory to spoil that. Right. That it sounds like a good time was being had by all. You're meeting the owner of the establishment. It sounds like fun to me. And But also like you, I, I like when that introduction is inclusive and broad. And if you're the one sort of playing point person for the group, if you're the one interacting with that – that person who's come up to engage the table and do their hosting duty. I think that including everyone at your table in an introduction makes sense to me. I don't think you need to limit yourself to the person that you're related to. I think so, too. And I I do think that there's a little bit of like a numbers pushover on this. Whether or not you knew the person already who, who you're going to introduce to the group that you're dining with, I might say like if there were three or four extra people, I would probably go very quickly around and just say, and this is Kim and Dan and Pooja and, you know, Susan. And that's super easy. But when you have like a table of eight extra people, let's say they were a table of 10, then I would say, and this is our group of friends. And everyone would go, hi, you know, it's like that kind of an easy situation. But there is a bit of a numbers game to it. And I think that having it be just these two people, it does start to feel a bit um, separated or exclusive in, in that category. So I don't, I don't want AT to feel terrible about this. This is, again, we're talking very minor infractions here, and, and we don't love the fact that AT's friend called, called them out on it. But I also feel like this would have been really easy for you to make an inclusive moment, and I would encourage it in future int- introductions. And if I was that friend who was sitting there who wasn't introduced, and I was feeling bad that I hadn't seized that moment to introduce myself, maybe instead of a calling out my friend or accusing the person I'm with of being rude for not introducing me, I would say, you know, next time I'm going to take that opportunity to to speak up and say, oh, hi, and I'm Dan so, Postenning. I'm having such a good time here tonight. Thanks for coming over. AT, we hope that this makes it a little bit easier the next time you find yourself in this situation. Our new friends often come to like our old friends. Can you think of other things you can do to make friends? Our next question is titled, The Problem with No Problem, Again. There are many questions on this show that get repeated, and I was kind of glad to see this one come back. Hi, Lizzie, Dan, and everyone who sends the podcast into my earbuds. I've been listening to the podcast every day to catch up. I feel like we've been longtime friends, and I want to share with you something that's been bugging me with this frequent encounter. It seems many young people now respond to thank you with no problem. I find this response irritating. I wonder when the proper responses of you're welcome or it's my pleasure became lost. Thank you, kind old school Joyce. Kind of old school Joyce. I don't think you're kind of old school at all. I think this is a really important point of etiquette. One of the reasons that I I'm guessing my cousin Lizzie likes that this question has recurred as it gives us a chance to talk about how important gratitude is, how fundamentally important the expressions of gratitude that we share with each other are, not just to our social interactions and the health of our social interactions, but to our own mental well-being. Being appreciative of what we have and what we receive from others is an important part of being happy and You can't do it alone. You can't just – well, you can. You can't express (laughs) gratitude and just be happy and thankful. But there is something about having that gratitude acknowledged and received that is is really satisfying in important ways. Saying you're welcome, saying it was my pleasure, saying I was happy to do it are all ways to receive that thanks in a way that 
let someone know that that it was received well and the that they understand the place that you're coming from with that thank you. You don't always want to minimize it. No problem. It was nothing. It was no trouble. Or even just, uh-huh. Just n- n- <laughs> That's n- the neutral. worst. Let's, wait, let's just focus there for a second. That is the worst. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh-huh. I mean, that almost doesn't even make it seem like the thanks is worth anything. I think that might be one of the worst infractions. Not even minimizing it, just neutralizing it in some way or because like i and not to cut you off i don't mean to do that but the no problem i can get around it being a shortened version of it was no problem i was happy to do it i mean that's the longer sentence that really is the expression that that is meant when you say no problem like it was easy this was no problem like don't worry about it this wasn't a burden on me it was simple. That's the positive version of what no problem sounds like. So if you're getting a lot of no problems, try and put that message behind it rather than thanks not being appreciated. It's it's someone letting you know this was easy for them and they were happy to help. But I like the idea of telling people who are just using no problem, add the I'm happy to help or better yet, try to find something else to say. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. As Dan had just said, the I'm happy to. Those all can make such a difference to the other person just feeling relief that it truly wasn't a problem. <laughs> well, it makes the the expressions of it was simple. I it was no trouble. It wasn't difficult. It gives them specific meaning. Yes. You're actually describing something. It's not perfunctory. It's not the habitual response. Having a range of options here makes what you say more significant. And falling prey to just being a creature of habit and saying the same thing starts to strip the sincerity out of the exchange. And I think that's the biggest problem. When I heard you say sort of that list of things that could all be followed with, I was happy to do it. Mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself, you know, when you say, oh, it was simple or even that could be minimizing, but the, just the tone of voice, the the positivity with which you're expressing it is communicating a great deal, is saying it was it was no trouble and I was happy to do it. it it's that complexity mm-hmm. that I think can get lost when the response is always just, oh, it's nothing. It's no trouble. No problem. Big difference between the two ways we just said those same phrases. Absolutely, because I hadn't even thought of that really. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's such an important part of etiquette. I close almost every talk or training that I give with some version of advice about the importance of thanks, whether it's the handwritten note or parting well or the the power of our ability to show each other appreciation for all the things we do for each other, even if it's just the, the pleasure of the company of someone else. Kind of old school, Joyce. Thank you for this question. We really appreciate the opportunity to reinvestigate. Thank you. And you're welcome. Thank you is a simple way to repay those who do things for you. That's courtesy at work. Our next question is titled, When to Open? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm listening to episode number 210 right now and was thrilled to hear that someone had asked a question about sending wedding gift thank you cards before the wedding for the gifts that arrive early as I'm currently in the same situation. I have a related question about a dilemma we encountered with opening gifts early. We are getting married in a month and after receiving a few gifts, we decided to open them. Before doing so, we did some etiquette research online to make sure that this was acceptable. The information we found stated that it is perfectly fine and even encouraged to open wedding gifts as they arrive in order to get started on writing thank you notes. 
Feeling comfortable about this advice, we opened the gifts we had received. One of those gifts was from my fiancé's grandparents, and a few hours after we had opened the gifts, my fiancé's grandmother contacted him to say they had sent us a gift and asked us not to open the gifts until the wedding. As we had already opened their gift, we felt very guilty and weren't sure how to handle the situation. We saw two potential options, rewrap the gifts and pretend we hadn't already opened them, or be honest and say that we had opened them but still offer to rewrap them. My fiancé chose the latter option, and despite his honesty, his grandmother was not happy at all to hear that we had opened the gifts. She chastised him for doing so and made us feel terrible. This whole ordeal could have been avoided had they made this request before the gifts had arrived instead of afterwards. But as that was not the case, we did what we thought was appropriate given the situation. Were we wrong to open the gifts early, and is there another way we should have handled this? Thank you, Susie. No, Susie, you just got stuck in a tough spot. Everything you read online is absolutely true, and it's not only for the reason of sending the thank you notes out early so that you have fewer to write later. It's actually for the reason of the gift arrived, and it does help you communicate to the the people who sent it that it arrived and you appreciated it and you're excited about it. There's nothing wrong with what you did, and I think you did the smart thing by telling grandma the truth. I think that telling uh, your fiancé's grandmother that you had you were so sorry had you known you would have waited but everything that that you had read up on including Emily Post had suggested that this was an okay thing to do if there was no instruction about waiting to open gifts and you're just so sorry that the timing worked out that they had opened the gifts a few hours before the phone call came i think that's a that's one of those things where like at the very end you say she made us to she made us to feel terrible about it that's one where I wouldn't let yourself feel that terrible about it. You were put in a really tough... It's like if if someone had left out a cake that says... You know, and, and it's like there with plates and everything, and, and you ate some, and then they said, you were never supposed to eat that cake. <laughs> How were you to know? And so don't feel terrible about this. Understand grandma's disappointment and tell her you're so sorry that it didn't happen the way that she was expecting and hoping it to, but that put the focus then back on how grateful you are for the gift and how excited you are for it. And I think that might help or how much you love grandma and how excited you are for them to come to the wedding. Let yourself move on from this. And if grandma keeps bringing it up, I mean, this is one of those where you have to balance in your family. Who is this person as a, as a matriarch type figure? And how much does the family defer to what she say I mean there are some families where that grandma rules the roost and you just yes grandma we are so sorry yes grandma we are so sorry we are still so sorry grandma and other times it's you know it's okay and you'll be able to just move on from it but you'll you'll know better in that relationship than we will but you were in fine stead doing what you did and I think that you made the right call in not trying to lie or create the situation that should have been one of the things that's so nice about making that honest choice is you don't have to feel badly about it afterwards, that you really are a victim of circumstance, but you've conducted yourself honorably with integrity and you get to feel good about that. And I, I love that you gave us those two options in your question <laughs> because I, I hear the excuses for lying all the time. And it's always to make someone else's life a little easier or to improve a situation that could be so easily improved. The, the intentions are always so good. And ultimately, it's it's internally corrupting. And one of the the really powerful things about making that honest choice is that 
you're protecting your internal state. And that's that's such a powerful choice to make. I was also thinking about very traditional wedding etiquette in this when we got this question. Oftentimes, wedding gifts were displayed at the wedding. I mean, if you really want to go back to (laughs) very traditional etiquette. Like we're talking 1922 etiquette here, like almost 100 years old. For those of you worried that you didn't display your wedding gifts, it still happens in some regions. But Or if you think that's just a horrible idea that it would really be inappropriate or awkward to to make a display like that. This is is a... uh, Again, almost a hundred year old tradition. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of thinking about where our etiquette comes from, the origins of traditional etiquette, the idea that you would open a wedding gift before the wedding isn't just coming out of left field and it is, isn't coming out of very traditional grandma left field either. Susie, we hope that this helps for you to feel a little bit better about a very awkward situation. Isn't he surprised to see such a big box? It's from his grandfather who lives in a city hundreds of miles away. Now, what do you suppose is in it? Our next question is about thanking a group at work. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've been a listener of your awesome podcast since the beginning. I really enjoy all your wonderful advice and stories. I'm sure you've covered this question already, but I would love your input again as I'm having trouble finding the answer. I am recently married and working on writing thank you notes with my new husband. It has been a year of changes for both of us. I moved to another state. We sold a house, bought a house. We both started new jobs and got married. I started my new job just a month before our wedding. My new coworkers planned and threw a little office wedding shower for me. I feel so blessed to be working with such kind and gracious individuals. My question is, How do I handle the thank you notes for the gifts I received at this wedding shower? There was a group gift, and some coworkers gave separate gifts. The group gift came with a card signed by most in the office. My understanding is signing the card does not mean someone contributed to the group gift, and maybe not everyone that contributed actually signed the card due to being out of the office the day the card was passed around. I was thinking of posting a thank you note in a general location for the group gift. However, I'm unsure if everyone would see the note. Our department is currently in several temporary spaces, as there are renovations to our normal working space going on right now. This means there's not really a general place to post a thank you note. I am planning to write separate thank you notes to the coworkers that gave us gifts outside of the group gift. My question is, how do I handle the group gift thank you notes? Should I write a thank you note to post in the general location? Should I write individual thank you notes to everyone who signed the group gift card? Should I write a thank you note to post in each different office area our department currently occupies? Please help, newlywed with awesome coworkers. Newlywed with awesome coworkers. I think you're an awesome newlywed. <laughs> Your life is um, clearly in a state of major flux right now. The the number of life changes that you're describing, moving, new house, new long-term partner, new wedding, these are all huge changes. And to have them all going on at the same time and to be still so invested in writing your thank you notes well and hitting your marks in terms of the social expectations around things like showers and planning your wedding is worthy of applause. And we hear all kinds of excuses for why people don't want to do these things or just can't get to them or how life just accelerates and seems to make it difficult to do. And I just want to acknowledge that I see you really making this effort and I I think it's excellent. 
cousin Lizzie had an answer that <laughs> I, I'm really curious to hear because <laughs> it was posed in our script as a question. <laughs> it was. I said, Dan, did your head just explode? I- I'm thinking that a group thank you is fine in this circumstance. We often say, no, 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 you need to write a note to each individual person who participated. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to start getting parsy with things. I think that's really important for a job interview when you've interviewed multiple people or like three or four people on kind of a panel of, of interviewers, that sort of thing. I think that a group gift situation, I think you could do a group thank you. And I personally am a fan of the putting a group thank you in the three or four different areas that they currently occupy since there isn't one main area. But I would also make sure to just as I see people after that party, say thank you. And I love the fact that you recognize that some people's names go on the card without having contributed. And some people's names don't make it on the card because they weren't there the day that the card signing was happening. Because it brings me to the point of it's none of our business who contributed what to a gift for us when it comes to thanking. You thank everyone who is included in giving that gift, whether, you know, it just it matters not whether they contributed $5, a signature, or whether they bought and organized most of it. But you don't in this case. And so you don't want to assume one way or the other. But I like the fact that our listener was saying, hey, there might have been people who contributed whose names aren't on this. And that's why in this case, I say a big group thank you posted everywhere that people could see it. I would leave it up for a week, maybe, and then I would take it down. And I would also try to do the in-person, hey, I just want to say thank you again. The shower was so lovely and the group gift was amazing. I mean, that's such an easy thing to do when you're running into people getting coffee or coming in for the morning, that sort of thing. My head has not exploded. I don't think you're going rogue. (laughs) (laughs) And I like your parsing. I think that's the kind of practical thinking that I think Emily Post would have approved of and appreciated, that there are all of these very particular considerations that play into how you respond intelligently here. I love your idea of remembering the warm personal thanks around the office. I hadn't been thinking about that. And it really changes the whole tone and nature of those group thank yous. Yes. If you're also present and available personally to acknowledge that, it it really reinforces that message. I like you. I like the idea of being sure that you figured out a way to share that group thanks in a way that actually gets to all the different people if they are in different clusters or different parts of the building. Figuring out a way to, again, practically get that thanks to the different places where people will see it. I also think that the way this question was posed, there was an acknowledgement that if an individual gift came from a particular individual, an effort would be made to thank that person with an individual thank you. And I think that covers a lot of ground. Checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. (laughs) And I heard you as you were talking, as you started to get into that territory of saying, I know who the organizer of this thing is, you might get your host some kind of special thanks. Oh, if you knew who the organizer was. Right. I'm picturing that, that that our newlywed doesn't know. But if you did know, I like that idea of saying, you know, I, I heard that you organized everything. It was just amazing. Thank you so much. Boy, I bet that person would feel amazing. Exactly. And oftentimes that is an amazing person in the office. Yes. And they will oftentimes thrive and live on that, that acknowledgement because it is important to the person that plays that role. Newlywed with awesome coworkers, we think you're doing great, and all of your ideas are good ways to express your gratitude. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your question. 
You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And we are going back to episode 201 in the out-of-office reply debate. We are still getting emails every week about this. And a lot of them contain uh, links to the very same article, actually, about it. And unfortunately, the links make it hard to read that feedback because it is just to an article. But we had two people write in uh, with things that I hadn't heard yet. So I I did want to revisit this one. Dan, you want to take us away on the first? So Melissa begins, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I was just listening to the auto-reply question on episode 201. I've been laughing because I can relate to this person and wanted to send a quick response. I have compassion for the individual. I work at a very large organization, and employees are only permitted a certain amount of space on the server for emails. While we can have several hundred emails, it simply is not allowed for your email account to go into the thousands while you go on vacation. So if you are unable to manage your emails, your account becomes locked and it is a nightmare to fix upon returning to work. You would actually miss incoming emails sent after the account was locked. I know some manage this issue by setting up an auto-delete to avoid getting locked out. Hence the eight-hour info provided. I could be totally wrong, but I'm wondering if this person has this problem as well and was actually trying to help the senders without giving the lengthy explanation. I ran into this issue while on maternity leave and ultimately decided I needed to go ahead and manage the emails instead of completely ignoring them as one would hope to do. Anyway, I thought this was a fun question and love the suggestions you provided for auto-reply. I will definitely keep them in mind the next time I go on a long vacation. Smiles. Thanks for all you do, Melissa. I love it. We also had this from Whitney, who has also seen this situation in which the email system itself causes delays. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm listening to your podcast at work and immediately felt the need to address your discussion regarding the out-of-office reply that says, this email will be deleted from the server in eight hours. Please consider that the eight-hour deletion may not be the choice of the person they are emailing. I work for a government agency, and cybersecurity is very important. Where I work, emails, unless saved to a certain location, are deleted from the server every 30 days. When I began working at this agency, the deletion period was seven days. Seven days was difficult to manage. We'd lose emails a lot, especially when out of office. I can only imagine how hard an eight-hour deletion would be. My point is, please consider that the email recipient may not be intentionally deleting your email. Thank you, Whitney. I'm so glad that folks are still writing in because we did not have those two perspectives before. Absolutely not. And while we continue to broaden our view, I will talk about a conversation I had with a trainer, an etiquette trainer in South Korea. Totally. Who was telling me about the frustration a lot of his clients have when they're working with people in America and Germany who have off work hours when they're not reachable. That oh, right. For them, the expectation is that you are the, – the sort of an unspoken expectation as a professional is that you're available all the time. And the whole idea that you would go on vacation and not be checking your emails for a week or over a holiday was really problematic. And wow. it got me to thinking about this question about how you set up a I'm not reachable message for someone and – 
all of the different uh, responses that kind of a message might might get from someone either in your same company or halfway around the world. So we all have to navigate a lot of different expectations. I was also thinking about this question from episode 201 just recently. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please, please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. So it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about the mix and mingle. And we are returning to Jen Dahl's amazing New York Times article where she quoted my awesome cousin on his awesome party etiquette. (laughs) And this article is huge, just so you know. It is absolutely huge. And we spent uh, two weeks ago looking at um, preparing to go to a party. And the next section of the article, section two, is about being at the party. And it's titled Time to Mingle. Dan, what is your advice for introverts at parties? So one of the things that was so excellent about this article is that it was very well researched. Jen spoke to a lot of different experts. So as I was reading this article, I was learning a lot of things. It's one of the reasons that I really wanted to both bring it to the Awesome Etiquette audience, but also divvy it up into different sections so we could spend time on each section of the article. And one of the things I learned right at the start of this section, the mix and mingle section, is that there's a difference between... Uh, introversion or someone who thinks of themselves as an introvert and social anxiety. And that social anxiety is specifically something that's caused by an experience that someone has had in the past, oftentimes a a difficult or traumatic experience where an introvert is someone who has a a broader tendency where they just prefer more self-reflection and time with themselves. So That's how they recharge is that time alone, whereas the social anxiety is really like something probably happened in the past that is now a repeated negative pattern that gets the angst up. Social anxiety you might deal with one way. You might look at the root causes and try to address that. For someone who's an introvert, it requires a different approach. It's not necessarily something that you're going to fix. And, and not that you could fix social anxiety, right, but it's sure. <laughs> it requires more of an approach that involves developing tactics or strategies that are about managing a tendency of yours. And As someone who kind of identifies as having these tendencies just a little bit myself, I found this useful. The first great piece of advice. So this is you've arrived. You're at the party. There's strangers in the room. First piece of advice. Look around and smile. If you're feeling really brave, walk to the middle of the room and do the same thing. Just make yourself available and put a smile on your face. I cannot tell you, you're saying it, and I'm realizing this is actually my armor. This is what I do. I never realized that it's actually like a tactic that I, that I employ. But I, w- I went to a party with people I know, and I remember walking up, and it was my first time going to this host's house, and it was like a pre-golf tournament party, and I was really nervous to go. I just was. I was feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going in with anybody. I don't know who's going to be there yet. I'm probably, you know, not dressed right for it, like all these other things. And I remember Lizzie just walk in and smile these are people that are friendly people, like just walk in and smile. That's, I love that that's an actual tactic. <laughs> it, it is. Keep your phone out of your hand. Don't retreat into a corner. Be available. And if you're there, if you're in that open state, 
where you're looking around, acknowledging other people, what you might find is that there are other people who are smiling, looking around, scanning the room. That is the beginning of the social interaction. And it it can feel like something that's happening as subtext. I, I, I love how you're identifying that this is something you just do. <laughs> Your father, by the way, thinks of you as one of the most gregarious and social, socially skilled and adept people <laughs> at meeting people for the first time, making a positive first impression. So I'm not surprised to hear. I myself to do it because my brain does all these other things where it's like, oh, gosh, will they like me? Will I say something stupid? Will like I do that. They may or they may not. You might or you might not. But you never know until you get in the game. And this is about getting in the game. First step, smile, be available. Second step, give yourself a job. Give yourself a little task, something to do. It might be the social goal setting that we talked about last time. I'm going to talk to somebody new. I'm going to find out something new about someone I already know. I'm going to find the host and ask them if there's anything I can do to help, particularly at a dinner party or a party or event at someone's home. There's oftentimes something that you can do. Would you mind grabbing people's coats after I greet them? Would you mind (laughs) keeping an eye on the bar for me and telling me when we're low on ice cubes? Just giving yourself a little task and oftentimes – be enough. I think you could look through the CD collection and see, boy, I'm dating myself now. Yeah, CD I know, I collection. Say, I'm like getting excited that I'm like checking the boxes on this list because this is another one. I know when I'm really, really nervous, this is actually what I go to. I go to a place of, can I be on the like the service team? You know what I mean? Can I retreat to a place of, of work in this as opposed to a place of social? And it can be a way to then kind of ease you into the party. It doesn't have to be that you're now a server or a clear or a coat taker or a door opener for the rest of the night. But it it can be a way to ease yourself in. I'm like, I feel like someone has been spying on me or something or knows the inner workings of my brain. (laughs) Well, let's see if the next one trips another trigger. Okay. Make the small talk. Oh, yeah, that one I do. Just do it. (laughs) Yes, talking about the weather is boring. Yes, asking someone if they got caught in that rainstorm on the way here is the same thing that they're likely to talk about with the next person they talk about first. It's okay. That's why they call it small talk. This is just the beginning. This is the the appetizer, not the entree. This is about just opening the door and beginning the conversation. So don't feel bad that you're not saying the funniest, wittiest, most intelligent, perfect thing right off the bat. Ask people questions about themselves. Mm-hmm. Don't pry into their personal life. It can be about you're planning for the event that night or about how you liked the food that you just ate. It doesn't need to be about what you paid for your last house or your decisions about your mother's health care. It really is okay to ask people questions about themselves. It's a great way to open up a conversation, prepare yourself to listen, but you don't need to pry. So Actually, keeping it light, keeping it to those really simple, easy conversation starters is a recommended place to start for good reasons. Don't feel bad about it. Be genuine and do it. You never know where it's going to lead. I'm going to repeat something now that I said earlier. Put down your phone. I'm going to repeat it again. Put down your phone. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Put down your phone. Can I say it just for fun? Please. Put down your phone. It is... An amazing thing, these little devices that connect us to all the important people in our life and an incredible world of information. It is not your ally at a party. It is not your ally, particularly if you're trying to overcome slight tendencies towards introversion. It can feel like a really safe way to present 
as someone who's got a phone in their hand, who's doing something, who's interested or looking something up or busy or taking a call, but it doesn't make you available to actually engage socially with the people who are present there. And that's really the job at this moment, particularly this moment in the social gathering. A final tip that came in this part of the article is to use the information at hand. And the way that Lizzie Post's father, Peter Post, used to give the same advice is he would tell people to be a detective. Be curious. Look around you. Look at the pictures that are hanging on the wall. Look at the types of artwork people are displaying. Look at the choices people are making about the clothes that they're wearing. Be curious about the world around you. Be curious about the people that you're with, the environments that your hosts are creating or building. It is a really good way to start to build rapport with people. You know, I noticed that you had a such and such up in your entryway when I came in. I've always been curious about late middle ages painting, whatever <laughs> whatever or it is. you have a piano. Do you play or do your children play? See, Lizzie's very good at this. She's, she's um, really big, quite I, adept. I bigger objects. I'm like, how did you choose this paint color? Who decorated your house? Like, you know, how long have you lived here? <laughs> Be a Detective. Be yeah. interested. Be curious. It really will be a benefit to you. It will make you a more interesting person to the people around you. So the next time we return to this article, we're going to look at a section that's called Don't Be That Person. So you can uh, be, be ready for that when it comes. But for now, we want to thank Jen Dahl for walking us through some party best practices. Have you noticed some of the skills of the guests that help keep the party fun for all? What do we want to do next time? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, our salute comes from Jenna. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you for such a wonderful podcast. I enjoy every episode, and it is my crochet buddy when I'm working on a project. One of my favorite parts of the podcast is the etiquette salute. What a wonderful way to encourage people to look for and acknowledge the good in others. I have an etiquette salute I would like to share with you today. I'm a mother of two small children, the youngest of which is currently potty training. Something that anyone who is potty trained knows is that when a child says they have to go, there is no time to waste. Ha ha. I experienced such a moment with my son while I was grocery shopping the other day. I had almost completely emptied my cart and the cashier had started ringing up my groceries when he told me he needed to go. Not wanting to put my son in a position where he might have an accident, I asked the cashier if she could put my groceries to the side while I grabbed my son and daughter and we hustled to the restroom. We were as quick as possible and I fully expected to enter the checkout line behind the other shoppers who showed up in my absence. But much to my surprise, when I got back, the woman who was in line behind me told me that she had emptied the rest of my cart for me and the cashier had continued to ring up my purchases. Also, this same woman put the bags of rung-up groceries back into my cart so that all I had to do when we made it back was pay. To say that I was surprised would be an understatement. Oftentimes, a delay in a checkout line can be a cause for discontent at the least and outright hostility at its worst. I was floored by the consideration and respect these women showed, not only to me, but to my little ones. Hats off to them. 
Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share this small but very significant act of kindness with you. Jenna Lawrence. Jenna, thank you so much for sharing this. I am kind of strangely touched also. <laughs> Not even strangely. This is great. This, I, I think you're absolutely appropriately touched, cuz. <laughs> it, it really is. A checkout line behavior is such a such a, a, a fraught experience considering it's something that everyone negotiates, that it happens every day. And it is amazing how aggrieved people feel, how quickly. And this counterexample also reminds me that it's not just a place where people feel grieved. It's also a place where people oftentimes let someone who has just one item get in front of them or help each other out with heavy items or that it is also a place where we oftentimes experience little kindnesses that can make a huge difference. I will also tell you that Lizzie Post looks up at me at the start of this and says, I think this postscripts about potty training. And I did a fist pump because it is definitely a stage of life that I am in right now. And I'm trying not to talk with everyone around me about it. But it is good to hear that you are getting support at this uh, tricky time. Thank you to everyone for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can do this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also really help us out by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Chris.